Hello, and welcome to the Future Christian Podcast, your source for insights and ideas into what it means to live as a follower of Jesus in the 21st century. At the Future Christian Podcast, we talk to pastors, authors, and other faith leaders for helpful advice and practical wisdom to help you and your community of faith walk boldly into the future. Here's your host, Lauren Richmond Jr. Hey, and thanks for listening in to the Future Christian Podcast. My name is Lauren Richmond Jr., and I am pleased to be joined by Kathy Escobar. Hello. Hi, good to be with you. Hey, thanks for being here. Uh, Kathy is co-pastor at The Refuge, a Christian community and mission center in North Denver, and she juggles the realities of parenting four young adult children uh, in the U.S. and then grieving the loss of your youngest son late in 2019. Uh, as a parent, I can only imagine. Uh, so uh, prayers and peace to you and your family there. Um, so you're co-director with your husband of Community Heals uh, Faith, making space for transformation accessible to all. Uh, you're an advocate for friends in hard places, a trained spiritual director, an organizational consultant, and you love to teach and facilitate events, workshops, retreats, and groups. So anything else uh, you want to say about yourself or add to your to for our listeners? Well, that's plenty. <laughs> that's plenty. I mean, but the, the books that I've written all are in that stream of just uh, the journey, transformation, healing, church, um, community, practice. So that's kind mm -hmm. of my thing is practice most of all. So tell our listeners, if you would, a little bit kind of about your faith journey and uh, what Christianity meant to you, maybe in your early, however, however far you want to go back and, and what it looks like today for you. Well, I mean, of course, that's a long conversation, but I, sure. what's most significant probably is that I was not raised as a Christian. Um, okay. That was not in my family of origin. My uh, mom was a single mom and my dad was a lifelong alcoholic. They were divorced. Mm -hmm. And so I was just our family was really dysfunctional in all in lots of typical ways uh, but i coped by being good mm. and top top yeah. marks you know performance peacemaker the reason why i say that is that i um know how to do that well and mm -hmm. i became a christian kind of in a pure way through um someone giving me a little bible and i was oh, young and open and i what i was drawn to jesus and it helped me i it did there was something about um jesus that was a little bit like a moth to a flame you know i just mm, really was yeah. drawn and it was really pure um because i didn't go to church so i didn't really have some of the structures until later and when later i later just means that then i started going to kind of conservative evangelical types of church. My undergrad is at from Pepperdine University, which was Church oh, yeah. of Christ. Yeah. And so that's where I would say kind of like a funnel sort of, I came from a wide experience and mm -hmm. then had sort of the narrow years um, where things became um, a little more rigid. Mm -hmm. And I did really good with it. To be honest, I was looking for rails. I was looking for boundaries. I was looking mm -hmm. for right and wrong. I was looking for some things I didn't get in my family. Yeah. The problem ended up happening with me and kind of where it lands me today is that I had a split between what was inside in my story of mm. 
reality of pain and shame and insecurity and just normal human experiences and a way of coping with it through performing. And I learned that in my family, but then I really learned it in my Christian faith. I was like the best good Christian woman. And I was not, I was doing good on the outside and not on the inside. So Mm. years ago, it's been 27 years now, I uh, ended up in a small group in San Diego at a conservative church that had a whole different way of approaching community that was Mm -hmm. a lot more honest and raw and real. And it kind of was the beginning of what I would call a shift in my faith. I knew that I just couldn't keep following all the rules but I didn't know how to change it. Um, And I just knew that I needed to become more honest. And as the more honest I got in church, the more on the outs of churches I got. Interesting. (laughs) Yeah. And so, you know, the more healing, the more I was calling people to more authenticity and connection and true stories, the more it was like, could you stop doing that? Uh, We want people to serve more um, instead of heal deep parts parts of our story. So that was kind of my work for a long time. And Mm -hmm. then I ended up landing on a mega church staff, a chunk of years ago, and it's been 16 years now, almost 17. And in that was, I would just say the culmination of just the grind against the Mm -hmm. system for that long. And what happened to me is um, kind of all issues of patriarchy, hierarchy, Mm -hmm. um, uh, unhealthy systems, power, just kind of all came apart. And when that happened, I um, stopped being so good. That's what happened. The systems liked me to be good. And when I wasn't and started speaking out, I found myself in a free fall out. And um, what I call that in my my book, Bay Shift, is just an unraveling where kind of everything came apart. Like I was did so good for so long. And then it just all didn't stopped working. And um, a losing beliefs and then the structures that support those beliefs Mm -hmm. and then the relationships in them and then my identity. So the last 14 and a half years have really been on the outside of traditional structures. And Mm -hmm. I would just say that I'm still a Christian because I really truly value the downward ways of Jesus. But when people ask me, are you a Christian? I do say it depends on what you mean yeah. by that question. Yeah. I don't just go, yeah, you know, I because I really, there's a lot that I don't hold to anymore because I think it's unhealthy and I can't personally have the integrity to um, proclaim certain things that mm-hmm. I used to uh, be really committed to when I was fused in that unhealthy system. Yeah, I appreciate what you're saying kind of about uh, your honesty and authenticity. Uh, I think one of my memories as a kid <laughs> is like my parents fighting on the way to church. And then, you know, once you walk in the doors, like the switch flipped and it was like, Hey, we're a happy, smiling, you know, uh, good family of Jesus lovers, you know? And, um, I think about too, you kind of mentioned your experience, like in a mega church, it brings to mind, like, I don't know if you see it, Kathy, and I'm curious what your thoughts are, like um, how how Christianity is almost like a status symbol. Like, you know, if you're if you're being a good Christian, like you're going to be like always happy 
you're going to have like material success. You're going to have maybe not wealthy, but like you can be doing okay for yourself. Is that fair? Well, oh, totally. I mean, it's a theology. That's why I I have a theology of dissent um, mm, that yeah. is going downward into real problems, real pain. And the truth is, is that the modern, at least evangelical contemporary church has been a model of ascent. And so yeah. it's rising, it's power, yeah. it's status, it's privilege, it's us against them. It's the pretty and the popular make it to the top. Yep. Um, it's that certain, if you say the right thing, do the right thing, be the right thing, then you're okay. If you're not, then, you know, it, it's basically completely, in my opinion, contrary to Jesus. It's yeah. that simple. I, I feel yeah. kind of clear on that pers personally for me and what I value. I just think they're contradicting values. Yeah, it brings to mind... Um... I'm curious how, if you, are you familiar with the Marlena Graves? I just, I had her on season four and uh, her book is The Way Up is Down. And she kind of writes through this theme of kenosis. And uh, I'm, I wonder if you, you two might connect. It seems like there's a lot of resonance between your, your ways of thinking if you don't know her. Yeah, I'll have to check it out. I, I think that name is familiar, but I'm not familiar yeah. with that book. Well, uh, talk about if you would. A spiritual practice that's been meaningful for you where you might or you might recommend others well for me i mean spiritual practices are not the same as they used to be so um they've really shifted over many years i would say that mm -hmm. the two that for me are the most spiritual mm -hmm. and um soul filling and connecting is being outside in nature Mm -hmm. So anything outside and um, my son, Jared, who died in 2019, he, he had a quote, it was like, everything is better outside. Yeah. And, um, that is just feels really true for me that I'm most connected to God and, um, others and my soul when I'm outside. Yeah. And then the other spiritual practice that, um, I always just personally value is just meaningful conversations with mm. people. So community and connection as a spiritual practice is really healing to me. It's kind of why COVID is so extra hard, but yeah. we found ways to make that happen. Um, because it, it, it is an experience of God through people. Yeah. Well, I'll say during COVID, this podcast has been very meaningful for me as a, I think a spiritual practice. So I hope this conversation is uh, equally as uh, edifying, I guess we might say to you as well. Um, yeah, it's fun to hang out. I mean, it's good. Human connection is a great thing. Yeah. Just talking about faith and life. I will say I just came back from a walk outside uh, as we're recording this. It's the middle of December. And I, I think I hadn't been outside for more than like, you know, driving around since like Sunday and it's Thursday and I needed it and uh, feeling a little better for sure. Good. It's not like we haven't all said it enough lately. These are unprecedented times. COVID-19 has upended the way we do life, community, and church. As church leaders, we find ourselves disoriented. Outreach, connection, cultivating a sense of team among church staff and creatives, Nothing works like it did before. Torn Curtain Arts gets it, and we're here to help. We strengthen the creative soul of churches. It's why we exist. And in these times, 
We have dedicated ourselves to helping churches set up live streaming solutions and assisting with live events. We also provide coaching for worship leaders, as well as substitute worship leading for both in-person and online events. Contact us at torncurtainarts.org and let's chat about how we can keep you connected to your creativity in this season and grow your community. Well, let's talk about uh, your work as co-pastor of The Refuge. And like you said, um, you kind of came from a working in a megachurch experience and you, you've kind of alluded to some of it. You kind of spoke to some of the, um, the systems and uh, structures that were really problematic. Um, what kind of pushed you, I don't know, if over the edges or kind of said, hey, I need to do something different. Like, and this is my really why I need to do it. Well, a couple of things about the formation of the refuge that is important to know is that it's really evolved. So what it is today is not what it was 14 years ago. And I think when we first planted the refuge and I planted with um, a team and mm-hmm. another co-pastor and um, we, di- we did it together with the dream of kind of uh, an inclusive and uh, non-hierarchical community, yeah. healing community. And yeah. my, my background has been in 12-step recovery and healing. Okay soul care stuff for many years as a volunteer and personally and um and then when i was on staff at big church so i was the associate care pastor and then the adult ministry pastor at the big church that i worked at and Mm -hmm. so when we planted the refuge the it was a little bit like people wanted to be part of a maybe a mini mega church where (laughs) you got a little more access to all the people but some of the same elements and that just wasn't our heart our heart was actually creating something where people did not come for the music Mm -hmm. the teaching or the kids program okay and this is still true about the yeah that's it that's mega church right there Well, and that's not just mega church. That's yeah, you're right. Almost you're, every you're church. You're not wrong. And, yeah. And so it's like the emphasis gets put on music, teaching, kids. And we wanted it to be that people wanted to come to actually be together in healing community um, with other humans and across all of our differences. And this has been preserved all these years at the refuge, many, many, many years. And we did start kind of as a weekly community. We had a Mm -hmm. few little things on other days. We had a house community that's still going um, all these years mm-hmm. later that was part of the refuge. But what we found is over years is we evolved into what we are today, which is far more the bigger dream that I always had. And that is that we're a Christian community and a mission center, Christian, mm-hmm. Christian community and mission center. And actually people, most, a lot of people at the refuge don't identify as Christian and um, because they've had a faith deconstruction, they have kind of bombed out of traditional structures. They never fit in or they never, yeah. that was just never their thing. Um, but their desire is for um, a place to uh, have get healing community and a place for social action. So we're kind of a hub for healing community and social action. So that evolved uh, the, over many years. And one of the things that uh, has been always present though is flat leadership. So we've always mm-hmm. co-pastored and on a team mm-hmm. and that team now, I mean, now this many years later, I mean, we have really solid teams and uh-huh. while I 
um, a certain role. I mean, I everything is done in community. So like we make decisions as teams. We have consensus mm-hmm. um, uh, team stuff and anybody can play. So lots of our uh, gatherings, for example, anybody can lead and anyone can participate. They're very highly participatory, experiential. Yeah. And action-oriented and practice-oriented. And so that's evolved. It wasn't like that at the beginning. And um, the more weird stuff we did, the less people who came. (laughs) Um, Yeah. (laughs) But the cool part is, is then it stabilized. And then the people who were there really wanted to be there. And, you know, I always say this. I was like, there's nowhere else. I love the refuge. We're just celebrating our 15-year birthday on April 1st of 2021. Oh, awesome. which is exciting. And I am excited for the next 15. And I always just tell people, I have nowhere else to go and nowhere that I'd rather be. It's amazing people. And we have always had people who um, basically are uh, disabled, alone on social security disability, Mm -hmm. um, living on a very limited income, some living in cars outside, mixed in with people who are lawyers and professionals and therapists and everything in between. And that is the beauty of our community is that it's just very, very raw and across a lot of traditional differences. And the one thing it's, you know, and this is the part of recovery is that 12 step meetings, you get that kind of diversity because Mm -hmm. you're desperate. Yeah. And I would say a lot of um, the refuge, I'm there because I'm desperate for this mm. kind of raw, authentic, authentic and um, action-oriented community. And I think a lot of people are in the same place. There aren't a lot of options. And so it feels yeah. like, yeah, I, I don't have to be comfortable. Everyone's uncomfortable and awkward <laughs> at the refuge yeah. all the time. And that's part of in our ethos of just living with that. We actually try, we are a distracting environment <laughs> and an awkward environment. And I came from kind of a... Uh, a theory that was making it distraction free and comfortable for everybody. And so we're just kind of like the antithesis of that. Um, I'm, I heard two things that I want to, I'm curious to hear more on if you're willing to share. Um, One, you kind of talked about how the refuge has kind of been like a home for spiritual refugees. And you certainly have wrote about it in your faith shift book. Um, I'm also hearing kind of how it's been a place of refuge again, to use your word for folks who have traditionally find themselves on the outs uh, because of uh, disability, um, social status, whatever. Uh, so I don't know if I don't know if you want to tackle both of those, but I, I am curious just to hear more because I I know that's a a thing that churches are often trying to get is they want to become more open to the doubters. They want to become more open to to people who are uh, on the outs of society or tend to be. And it seems like you've done that really well at the refuge. So I'm curious to hear more. Well, I think the biggest thing, and I, I would kind of go back again to 12 step meetings and the mm-hmm. power of simple and the power of shared and the sh- the power of no hierarchy. So even that language, we're trying to reach those people is actually really, in my opinion, um, kind of Christian typical, which is 
um, power over. And we, so there's, I, I learned this early on in the refuge through some friends at, as it's, it, it's changed, the title of their nonprofit has changed, but it used to be called Center for Transforming Mission in Tacoma. And we talked about prepositions and that the prepositions two and four are super typical for most Christian missions. And, yeah. you know, two is doing things to people it's patriarchal it creates oppression and then um doing things for people is matriarchal and creates codependence and is probably the most typical these days um and that Mm -hmm. the power of with um which is incarnational and it creates transformation and that's where instead of over someone over and under we're going to reach those people that just Mm -hmm. that alone means they're under Hmm. and um and so just when it's equal and dignity equal value and dignity is really missing in my opinion in christian models and i would just say too i mean this growth thing Mm-hmm. You know, and down we go. I have a chapter. It's called We May Look Like Losers. I mean, yeah. we're yeah. S- actually supposed to look like losers, not winners. Wow. And yeah. um, and that is none of the church planting things teach that. No, and, no. and so that is actually, in my opinion, um, probably one of the biggest missing things. And I think what I keep observing in the bigger church, because we're now almost 15. So we've been at this a long time. We've seen a lot of churches come and go. Yeah. Try all kinds of interesting things. But I think what a lot of them haven't tried is just the simplest thing of just basic friendship and relationship as the most forming thing that people need. And I think that um, it's just, it's cause it's one of the hardest things to do. It's actually easier to pop up a service and some of that stuff than it is to actually live with each other right. because it's messier. It, we like, we like our roles and we like our, this is what I'm supposed to do in the world and those kinds of things. And when we really just begin to see each other like chairs around in a 12-step recovery meeting where no one really cares if you're a business person or you live in your car. Mm-hmm. They just care that you're there to um, get sober, get healed, work stuff, and share your experience, strength, and hope. And the refuge was built on that and continues to be built on that. And I think that that's a piece of why um, we're not big. We don't have a huge budget. Um we don't have power in the way that a lot of other communities do, but we've lasted a long time. There's a lot of the same people. We have new people all the time, but we have people who have been here from the very beginning. And I think that that's been um, something really compelling. We've never had like a big turnover of a bunch of people. We have a mix and new people always coming across all ages and experiences. Well, Kathy, you know this probably a lot better than I do, but what is, from what I know, Denver is a, uh, I feel like Mecca is, I can't think of a better word, but it, it's the place to be if you want to come start a church. Everyone's like, <laughs> we've got to start a church in, in Denver, and you've probably seen so many come and go, I can only imagine. Oh my gosh, no, and I have really funny stories because- um, Go for it. Uh, one is in my neighborhood, so I live in a really resource neighborhood in Arvada. Okay. okay. And nobody here really needs 
oh, that much in terms of mm-hmm. those kinds of resources. So um, a church came here and they brought like 85 people to plant a church nice. in my neighborhood. Yeah. And um, and then the funny part of the story was, is that I read something in the paper about them. And this is not to dismiss. They don't have a pledge play. I'm not saying that. I'm sure, just sure. saying this is fascinating to me because they bought all these people, all this money. It's not a, a cheap part mm-hmm. of town and in terms of rents and um, our school, like my kids went this, to that school. And so when there were signups for like volunteer needs, um, like literally if I didn't sign up within five minutes, every spot was full. That's how wow. much like parent participation there was. And their big thing that they touted was, oh, we are, we're taking care of teacher appreciation at the school. Yeah. And I can't even think of one thing that this community needed less of than that. Hmm. I mean, there's, there, there's not a need for that from that community. Yeah. And then I think of all these nonprofits, people who are mm-hmm. serving people who live outside, people who are trying to work on housing, people who are trying to work on domestic violence, on Black Lives Matter, on things that are truly breaking down um, yeah. important things that need to shift and be healed and um, built into healthier structures. No one's doing that because no, I should say no one. All those people imagine if they came in and said, nonprofits, what can we do to support you instead of a school that has five minutes and every single role is taken by resourced parents? And this is exactly it. And they did build something. And I I don't even really know what they're doing, but I know that people go. And I Mm -hmm. am sick about that personally, because Mm. um, there's all these other groups that are in the trenches scraping. Yeah. And the resources are there. And I just, this is a, this is a two different models of where the value is. And it's not, I don't want to dismiss people's work or what, they feel like God is calling sure. them to. Yeah. I'm just seeing that uh, when I hear of people wanting to come move to Boulder to plant a new church, what's mm-hmm. missing is all the needs under, and Boulder doesn't really need that, honestly. <laughs> and um, yeah. and so what, what it does need is all these on the ground people working in hard places, getting support. Yeah from the body of Christ in a healthy way that isn't we're coming to come save you. We, what do you need and how can we listen and learn from you and help you do what you are so good at? And we actually suck at because we know how to (laughs) pop up a church. (laughs) Yeah. It reminds me of uh, what I'm hearing from you. Kathy is I've been studying recently at, I can't say right. Asset based community development. Yeah, it sounds like there's a lot of similarities there, right, with your work and that kind of model. Oh, for sure, because in ABCD, you know, it comes from the stories, and instead yeah. of people saying, "Here's what we think we need to do," it's listening. You know, it's mm-hmm. grassroots, faith-based organizing. You know, it's basically coming from the bottom of saying what's really on the ground and what are the needs, and they turn out to be totally different than yeah what kind of two and four and a power up um, mentality or an ascent mentality uh, seems to bring. Mm-hmm. Well, what you, you've really like laid out some good kind of quotable things here. The prepositions of the two and four versus the with is that's gold. 
And then I love the supposed to look like losers, not winners. That's great. <laughs> well, um, we will. Yeah, we will look like losers. <laughs> I know this personally. <laughs> um, Kathy, I'm curious to hear. I know a lot of churches um, strive to to, you know, they have a worshiping community in the traditional sense. Uh, you know, it's kind of what you'd imagine the Sunday morning uh, and whether it's more uh, evangelical in tone or more traditional in tone, there's still kind of the focus on the preaching and the music and the, ch the children's. Um, and a lot of churches want to develop a more missional side. Thinking about your community and how you've kind of leaned towards, kind of leaned into being a mission center, I'm curious, like, do you think it's possible really to do both well, or do you think churches will inevitably kind of just lean towards one or the other? Well, I think, I mean, I think you naturally lean towards one or the other. And I think most mm -hmm. people and systems lean towards the path of least resistance. Mm -hmm. And so it's just, it is easier to do a worship service than it is to become an incarnational community. You know, I, I think I have a post and this, this is in down we go also, but I have a post mm -hmm. on my blog that it's, you know, um, uh, cultivating communities, not building churches, you know, mm -hmm. and so they're two different things. And so, yeah, yeah I think what the problem, but I do think there's, it's possible. I've seen so many communities become over the past 14 years, become more missional and incarnational. Um, but they usually took a big hit to do it. Yeah. They lost people. They lost people. They lost um, big donors. They lost yeah. um, sometimes their facility. They lost things mm -hmm. that uh, actually they held dear to get there. And mm. I mean, I'm super like, this is just one way. I mean, there, I'm not saying everything should be the refuge. That's just our unique expression. Sure, um, sure. But I think the question is, is I think needs to get asked, what does the world really need right now? <laughs> yeah. What does my neighborhood really need right now? Not what are our skills or we know how to do. What does like yeah. the need really need? And I personally, and COVID's going to test this also. Like I just, yeah. I'm not sure people really need another Sunday service right now. When <laughs> now it's going to be, they're all going to be more accessible. It doesn't mean that Sunday services yeah. aren't important. We have a Sunday gathering, you know, but mm -hmm. probably a frame for us is our Sunday gathering is one equal part of all the other things. If you look at the refuge yeah. calendar and so people can connect in all those ways versus a big, um, uh, funnel point, everything has to get funneled through there. And then there's smaller things. Ours is divided. The hub hub is the best way. Things are hubbed out of there and they're all equal. Mm -hmm. They're just different. And so that's why sometimes people come to our Sunday gatherings and go, is this what the refuge is? And it's just a little slice of the refuge. There's actually yeah, that sure, many sure. other things going on in different ways. So I just think the attractional missional conversation has been going on. I don't even like the word missional. I don't really like the word mission center, but it helps people understand that we do care for people yeah. because that is one of our core things. We have a free cafe and a lot of mm -hmm. unresourced people are able to come. But I think on the whole, I like incarnational better um, yeah. or relational or healing. Yeah. And I think that the idea when we think attractional, mm -hmm. we will take a path 
that will yeah. automatically make missional slash incarnational not as possible. I mean, you're not and, wrong. You're not and wrong. So, and I, so that's just me. It doesn't mean it can't be a both <laughs> and, but the yeah. energy is going to go that direction towards the attractional because our survival often depends on numbers. Yeah. And yep. um, so that's a little bit of the dilemma. And the bravest people, in my opinion, are the ones who are willing to, if they feel that call, there's people mm -hmm. are called to attractional churches. I'm not saying that right. there's anything wrong with it, but the people who are truly called to incarnational work need to understand, in my opinion, like you can't use the measures from yeah. attractional and missional, yep. they don't—they're not the same measures. Yeah, well, that there's some great points here, I, and I'm glad you brought up the thing about COVID because that was something I was going to ask you about. Is you know we're—it's December and COVID is still going nuts. There's talk about a vaccine, and I don't know if you've seen the news, Kathy, on Colorado's vaccine front. Like, it looks like it won't be widely available to the public until summer. Um, right. interestingly enough, my wife is a nurse and she just got her first shot yesterday, I think. So oh, good. fingers crossed I'm glad there. to hear that. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> but you know, you, you talked about how, like what people really don't need right now, it's another worship service. Kind of like we don't need another zoom meeting, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I mean, I'm curious. Um, so, you know, you've been through, you know, you've been doing this for 15 years and at least the refuge, you have a, you know, a lot more ministry experience than that behind you. So you've seen a few things you've seen probably nine 11, how that affected churches, the great recession. And I don't know how far back that's as far back as my adult memory goes. So someone's at the door. Um, <laughs> I'm curious, like, how do you see, um, at home doing this at home with kids and dogs so listeners, no, this is me. life now and it's just part <laughs> of life. it no big deal <laughs> how do you see like I, i'm really curious uh your thoughts because i'm curious myself like what is church going to look like post-covid do you see the refuge as being a model that churches are going to have to ad adapt to i mean i'm i'm curious what do you think well, I just think, I mean, I don't, I don't think that the refuge is necessarily a model that churches need to adapt to, but I would say mm -hmm. that I truly believe this. I will say it like I, you know, I'll stand on tables for it. It's that the church <laughs> needs to be more creative. Yeah. It's really lacking in creativity. And, um, and so I, and I can say, I, it's okay for me to say this. This is just me. You know, I have really strong opinions about this and I never want to dismiss the good work of people who are doing what they really are supposed to do. But yeah. I think the default to just a weekly service and thinking, mm -hmm. putting all the energy there is just not what the world really needs. And yeah. so I think the world needs practice and it needs, it needs tangible, it needs hands and feet, it needs hearts, it needs space, it needs advocates. You know, I always, I call it in down we go. And I think this is in practicing also little pockets of love where there mm -hmm. really truly are little pockets of love where people are really cared for. And I think COVID points to this, and this is why I've been personally distraught about um, watching on the whole, the adaptation of church to online is that doesn't mm -hmm. mean that people are not getting cared for and we don't see it. Mm -hmm. But I also think 
way more emphasis has been put on still doing a weekly production instead of gathering people in smaller pockets that are more interactive. People want more, in my opinion, than the future church needs to be more experiential and it Mm -hmm. needs to be more uh, communal and Mm -hmm. more honest. And, um, and so people are just done and then more active so not passive and yeah. so not just coming to consume and then you go home. I mean, that's why a lot of people are leaving church. They're like, I don't really need to sit there anymore. I want to go advocate for justice. I want to go yeah. march. I want to go serve. I want to go mm-hmm. do th- things that are meaningful that the world really needs. And so I think the future after COVID is going to be super fascinating because yeah. I think yeah. there will be um uh, reality, it'll take a while to shake up is mm-hmm. to see if people actually do come back to a Sunday service yep. uh, regularly yeah. and if what it will look like to actually um, make the transition to are we really going to, what are we, what did we learn from this? That's not Mm -hmm. just, Oh, we learned that people could watch church online. I mean, that's not that good of a learning and (laughs) we did a little better than that. Like what have we learned? And I think one of the things that we have learned, I hope is that people are really disconnected and longing for meaningful conversations. You know, I think I you guys do pub theology, you know, conversations and Mm -hmm. serving and caring for people and caring about issues together and spiritual formation that is active and not static. Yeah. So good. So good. Um, I want to keep going on this, but I want to respect your time. Um, so let's, let's pause real quick, uh, so we can, I can put in a break (laughs) and we'll come back with our closing questions. Okay. Is the church really dying or is it dying to change? How can the church recapture what it was in the first century? A distinctive confessional community willing to stand against the status quo, to speak up against the empire and to stand for the gospel. How can it do this in a 21st century context? This year, the Festival of Homiletics invites you into a conversation around how the promise of the gospel might shape hope and ministry for the future of the church. What is the role of preaching in forming the church of the future? Be inspired by God's word proclaimed by some of the nation's finest ministers and teachers. Experience the fellowship of hundreds of preachers. Learn and worship in an atmosphere that is dynamic, friendly, nurturing, and prophetic. Come renew, refresh, and recharge your spirit. Join the Festival of Homiletics this spring for the 29th Annual Preaching Conference. It will be broadcast virtually the week of May 17th to the 21st, 2021, and it's free to all who register. Enjoy over 30 sessions from some of the best practitioners in the business. Michael Curry, Kate Baller, Diana Butler-Bass, Otis Moss II, Brian McLaren, Marilyn Robinson, Adam Russell-Taylor, and so many more. Register for free today at Festival of Homiletics. All right, we're back with Kathy Escobar. And Kathy, you can take these closing questions as seriously or not as you'd like to. Uh, But if you're Pope for a day, uh, what does that day look like? What do you want to do? That kind of thing. Well, that was a hard one because I don't believe in hierarchy. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Well, you could be, several people have just suggested just straight abolishing the Popehood. Well, that's, no, I, I'd start there. yeah, I would start there and then I guess if I could, then I would say, let's break it all up. Let's actually 
take a year off of every single Mm -hmm. thing we ever did completely Mm. and see what emerges when it's all like really like we're not going to do anything the way that we did it and you want to go like antitrust on the the pretty much break it all up break it all up (laughs) and but but preserve some good things i mean there's good things that happen but just be willing to burn it down to mm-hmm. build up something that is for this time and place. Um, wow. That, that's we me. Could spend, we could spend another <laughs> hour talking about that. That is a lot to unpack there, but we don't have time. Uh, I have we'll lots have of have Catholic friends and I respect you. So like, I feel weird <laughs> saying bad things about the Pope. <laughs> yeah. Um, a theologian or historical Christian figure, figure you'd want to meet or bring back to life. Oh, goodness. Um, oh, gosh, that's a hard one in this moment. I don't know. <laughs> My brain is not going there very easily. Um, I I would say historical right now. I would maybe um, consider both. Malcolm X and Martin Luther King Jr. both together. Yeah, I like it. To listen and learn from both of them because they both brought, you know, Mm -hmm. sometimes conflicting, but actually same stream and get wisdom for what we might need for this next chapter. Like it. Um, What do you think history will remember from our current time and place? Um, history is going to remember our, our poor response as the United States to coronavirus. And mm. history is going to remember the damage done um, to uh, in division, in the division that's been created through social media and red and blue yeah. and um, just this us and them and uh, like basically false information. It's going to remember fake news. And, um, and the damage that fake news, that messaging has created where people don't know anything to believe anymore. I think that's going to be a a bad part of history that it's going to remember. Yeah. Uh, something more hopeful. What do you hope for the future of Christianity? You know what I hope for? I hope for, um, courage to be more Mm. creative and the downward ways of Jesus, ups, turn down power, um, toppling systems, uh, mm-hmm. unconformance, um, yeah. not conforming to um, the ways of the world, but actually living out something different. And that um, small and simple is valued. That's what I mm. hope the future brings is like breaking down this business model and getting more creative, innovative, yeah. uh, moving from hierarchical systems to um, living systems, which is my friend Pam Wilhelm's work in just really healthier, like healthier, mm-hmm. breaking down um, the destructive uh, industrial complex that Christianity has uh, begin and get back to some of its roots and in a new way, not, not try to go back. We just have mm-hmm. to move forward. I think that's part of the problem too. It's like, oh, we have to do all these things from way back there. I mean, yeah. I think everything in the Bible was contextual. So we're supposed to uh-huh. apply it to today and better. And yeah. so uh, creativity and courage and innovation. Great, great. Um, well, where can people find out more about you and your books? 
Well, if you go to kathyescobar.com, I mean, it's kind of a hub for most of the things that I do. So there's, you know, it's kind of the books I've written and um, blog, I've written blog on the blog for a long time. You know, this, this mm -hmm. conversation was a lot about church. And so there's a ton of things that were my dreams for church over the years. Not so much in this past couple of years. I haven't written all that much in that area, but mm -hmm. Kathy is the best place. And then it kind of has links to other things. Awesome. Well, Kathy, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate this conversation and, uh, peace, uh, to you and your family during this, uh, tumultuous time. Oh, thank you, Lauren. It was great being with you. And thank you for your work on Dreaming About Future Church. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on the Future Christian Podcast. To learn more about Lauren or the podcast, visit future-christian.com. But hey, before you go, do us a favor. Subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. It really helps us get the word out to more people. Thanks, and go in peace.